0: Intelligence gap. The president and the intelligence community don't agree. Is that a problem for the president politically? Welcome to the Fury Theory Podcast brought to you by EFB Advocacy. I am joined by my partners in crime, John Easton and Adam Belmar. Today we talk about the political ramifications of the president's distance from the intelligence community. We had a hearing earlier this week where the all the leading intelligence communities testified and they disagreed. Somewhat with the president, the president has never really agreed with the intelligence community. They doesn't, they don't trust each other. Is that a problem for the president politically, Annabelle? I think it is, and I think that's
1: exactly the way the president wants it to be. Um, this president lauds praise on people who he likes and wants you to like and who support him and anytime there's distance between him and folks they're no longer the best people he told the intelligence community they needed to go back to school the truth is they're there to support all uh decision makers, politicians in our government, and they gave what was an unclassified and hopefully unbiased assessment of where the community is on important issues, and there's a big disconnect there. People who support the president will believe what they want to and support him, but there is a political problem here, and people are harping on it, especially the press.
0: So John Easton, um, the president, when he is campaigning for president, said that the intelligence community got Iraq wrong. Mm Um, and that's kind of why he said these guys are all messed up. Now, you worked for Kelly Ayotte, who is a huge defense hawk, um, someone that the, the the defense establishment really trusted and really liked. Um on Ar- Iran, I think Kelly Ayotte would have agreed with the president that you need to be more forceful against the ranch. I think she was very much against what Barack Obama was doing. But on other things like pulling troops out of Afghanistan, I would imagine that she would be against the president or worried about the president pulling the troops out too precipitously, just like Mitch McConnell. What's your analysis of how this all plays out for Republicans, especially the Republican establishment?
2: Well, I, I think that you're correct in, in terms of, uh, you know, former senator ayotte and 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 some of her colleagues of of that philosophy like lindsey graham and others uh she would be much more in line with the 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 intelligence community that was in front of the senators the other day and and in terms of how you read their assessment i mean adam's right what 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 the whole exercise is is to go up give their assessment and answer questions they, they, their job is to gather data and, and assess that data. It's not to make policy prescriptions, which they did not. And it is not to say whether the president is right or wrong. They did not do that either, except what you see from this, this blow-up afterward because of the tweets, you know, the, th- the three successive tweets, You know, the, 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 the political establishment, the media stuff They went crazy. But think about it for a second. This is nothing new. I mean, this is Donald Trump challenges the status quo. That's that's what fuels his brand. That's what he does. So it, you've seen this in the past. I mean, look at the uh, moving the uh, the capital of, of Israel to Jerusalem. You know, the embassy to Jerusalem. Right. I mean, nobody had done that, and he takes great pride in that. Right? He challenged the the sort of groupthink of the of the politic or the uh, foreign policy establishment, and I think he's again he's very proud of that. He challenges the Federal Reserve Board Chairman. He challenges these institutions. I mean, look at what he's done with the media. I mean, nobody's taken as far as he has. So I think that um, he's he's just saying, well, I don't really agree with that assessment. But that's a political statement, right? I mean, that's what he's what he's doing is more political. What they are doing is their job is just to assess the data. So I think that a lot of this really is a political exercise on the part of the president. He is jamming. He is challenging this institution. And, and he believes that's good for him. And it might be.
0: And the intelligence community also challenges the president. You know, they do it, obviously, in the media. But former intelligence officials like James Clapper and Brennan and all these guys, they hate Trump. They hate everything he stands for. And they try to throw him under the bus. And, of course, you know, the FBI started investigating Trump right after he got elected, thinking that he was a stooge for Vladimir Putin. Um, looking at the hearing itself, Adam... Was there that much distance between the president and the intelligence community, or was it more of a media creation?
1: I think it could be fairly characterized as a media creation. There was distance in terms of the prescription that the president has for how we should be dealing with what the threat from Russia uh, actually is, and there's distance there between what the IC says and what he's saying. And then, again, in North Korea, but on other issues, uh, especially Iran and the ballistic missile capabilities there, less so. Um, in fact, the media harped on Gina Haspel, the director of the CIA's comments about Iran, to the best of our IC knowledge, still being in compliance with the JCPOA um, that we have withdrawn from, but that doesn't mean that they're not preparing to do the thing that. Trump is most worried about. And so for a guy who is always painting a picture of the world he wants to see and selling it that way, this dissonance politically is helpful for
0: him. I think that's right. I think it's helpful for him. I think being anti-Iran is actually <clears throat> very popular in Israel. I think it's also very popular amongst the Saudis, who he seems to How have. many electoral votes did they get? They, well, <laughs> uh, I hear you. I'm being Israel, snarky. Israel, more so than the Saudis, but they also have a lot of money that they yeah. they contribute to the economy. John Easton talking about foreign policy and the and the, the the particular brand of Donald Trump's diplomacy. He seems to really like this fat guy in North Korea who's this dictator. Um, but the even his top advisor, John Bolton, is nervous about him breaking all these rules. What, how do you think this North Korea thing plays out politically for the president?
2: I think he's breaking norms and, and what has been the norm for the past decade or so, which is you know to try to hit them hard with sanctions, don't talk to them unless they're willing to change their behavior. But uh, let's face it, I mean, uh, he, Trump loves the theater of going on stage with this dictator and I think he probably feels like remember he, he talked a lot about this on the, on the campaign talking to and having a dialogue with these these dictators or these strong men like putin and kim jong-un and i think that i think trump feels like if he has a dialogue going and and they can be tough on the you know on the, on the side or, or you know around the corner that um that that's good for him in the public eye that i think that americans generally would like us to talk to our adversaries rather than shut them down and, and just hope for the best
0: I I think that's exactly right. I also think that – I think back to what happened in the Iraq War. And I remember watching 60 Minutes interview Saddam Hussein, and I thought to myself, this guy would just be glad to take a buyout. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And instead we invaded him. And I think the same thing with Kim Jong-un. He'd gladly take a a buyout. Um, If you gave him a couple billion dollars and go somewhere in some island and just kind of get more – that would be a lot better in many ways than than, – Going to war, I would think. Um, and I'm talking about how presidents get re-elected. Yeah. Um, my theory on the case is they get re-elected based on foreign policy. They get elected based on domestic policy. They, but they get re-elected for their foreign policy. Do you think president? Do you think that theory is right?
1: I think there's truth in that theory it just doesn't stand up in every single case and we could go back through some recent examples where maybe that's reversed in some weird way but i I basically buy it and i think where donald trump is concerned um foreign policy will probably be a net positive for him in his reelection and it's funny because despite what the media tends to harp on It is quite clear, I think, to the majority of American people that many things can be true at once. And what I mean by that is that the president's spinning all these plates, going in late February, supposedly, to have another summit with Kim Jong-un. And that may coincide with what's going on with Mueller. And so you've got two very big elements of the presidency going on concurrently, And the foreign policy stuff sure works great as a distractor because it has a potential benefit. Whereas some of the domestic stuff, like the shutdown, which did not work out well for the president, very big downside. So I think he's going to continue to spin these plates. And foreign policy is a place where he can be successful and call it an accomplishment. God help him.
0: What do you think about that theory, John? Do you think that foreign policy will get this guy reelected?
2: If... Well, that just depends on when you're talking about today. I think it would, <laughs> it would it would be a net positive. I do think so because I think uh, the situation in, in Venezuela. I think he's actually playing this pretty well. I, I think he's being patient, yet he's he's sending the right signals. And and if you look at just the, the you know the global situation, you know the United States. Yeah, you could you could pick a couple places where you think he could have done something differently, something maybe perhaps better. But in general, um, things are going okay we haven't been attacked uh, maybe a couple of cyber attacks on a lower scale but I think that in general the the public now the media would say this guy is about ready to bomb everybody at any moment and they want to keep that narrative going but I think in general that the, the public is probably on balance happy with him but who knows what's coming in the next year and a half
0: well we don't know but he made... doesn't know well, we're going to make some predictions though so I want you guys to predict what your What do you think his biggest foreign policy triumph would be, and then what his biggest foreign policy failure would be? Um, You first, Adam.
1: Okay. Um, In terms of triumph, I think the greatest probability that he could have a success, demonstrably so, is tied at the moment uh, between uh, Iran and North Korea. Both show promise, less so, I think, on the Iranian front. Um, But I see them as possibles. As far as uh, on the the negative side, I think just drawing from this week's hearing, listening to the DNI and hearing others, uh, the presence of Russian interference that we can prove and we know occurred in 16 We know that they were trying again in 18. We're preparing and seeing movement towards the destabilization of our democracy in 20, and them doing this in other places. The president has eschewed the intelligence community's assessment and denied the veracity of any real movement by the the Russians because he doesn't want it to be seen as, yes, that was true, but there was no collusion. I understand that, but once the Mueller report comes out, And the the intelligence community's findings are largely understood by the public. I see this as a real problem for the president, a messaging one that he may be in a box on.
0: John Easton, what are your thoughts? Biggest foreign policy win and biggest foreign policy disaster?
2: I think that that on the Iran and North Korea front, I think it's just going to be a treading water situation for as long as the eye can see. I don't think there will be any victories that you can claim, big or small, I just think it's too way too complicated. And, and those two will just, they just wait out presidents. They, they find a way to just muddle through and do just enough so that there's no conflict. Um, and I think it's going to frustrate him a lot. And, but I think that if they're on the Western Hemisphere side, you know, again, the Venezuela piece, Cuba, and Cuba's uh, intelligence efforts in the Western Hemisphere uh, against us, I think there could be a couple of examples where he's done a good job, uh, and there could be another foiling of a cyber attack from China or or Russia that that the intelligence community can come forth and say, we thwarted this. this. They were about to do X, Y, and Z. We thwarted it, and that could be another thing. I think that the foreign policy victories will be small to medium, but there could be a couple that could go in his column.
0: So my prediction that the Afghan peace deal with the Taliban will be the biggest foreign policy triumph for this president. The biggest failure will be the inability to disassociate himself from Vladimir Putin in an effective way. And I think that's going to ultimately hurt him uh, as he runs for re-election. So really appreciate you guys listening to the Fear Theory Podcast brought to you by EFB Advocacy. EFB means... Excellent for business. Yeah, baby.